Well, we'll be uh, in the second part of this sermon that I've entitled, Wise in Christ, Fools to the World. We started this last week, I got one verse in, and that doesn't surprise you, I know. Um, We're going to do a lot, go through a lot quicker verses uh, today. And Chris, if you could turn my mic down just a little bit, Just just a little bit, thank you. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone um, that you love, that you care for, and you, you go into that situation wanting to talk about spiritual things, and it's like getting on the interstate um, during rush hour. You're, you're looking for the opportunity to, to, to enter into that conversation um, to, to kind of change the, the, the wording from you know, just the affairs of the day, the weather, family, to, hey, let's, let's talk about spiritual things. Let's talk about the gospel. And you know that when you do, no matter how smooth you may get into the, 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 the rushing lane of the interstate of, of, of the conversation, you know that there's going to be a screeching halt when it comes to the awkwardness of transitioning from just secular words and secular ideas to the gospel. And there's no uh, denying that. There's no changing that. We as Christians must understand that very truth as we are trying to be faithful to share the gospel. Um, there are techniques, there are ways, tactics, you might say, that evangelists have tried to lessen that blow. And to be honest with you, it just doesn't work. And I think the reason why is because of what we've been learning in our passage in 1 Corinthians. is because when you go to share the gospel, when you go to share the message of Christ, it really is foolishness. There's no doubt about it. You are entering into unmanned, unoccupied territory, and only by the work of God and His great power and wisdom, His great, as we just read or just sang, the great changing of the heart, well, you have success in that moment as God is drawing people to himself. So this passage is a very timely passage for us in our culture today, not only as we try to approach and and engage a culture with the gospel, but as we discern the times that we're living in today, Why people are so hostile to the things of God and the message of the gospel is made very clear by the Apostle Paul. Church, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you submit to his word, if you have surrendered your life to follow him, then you are a fool to the world. There's no doubt about it. And to be honest with you, if the world loves you, if the world is attracted to you, then you're probably not being foolish enough. Paul wants the Corinthians to understand what I talked about last week, that there is a dividing line between the wise and the fool of the world. There is a distinction, a dividing line in the gospel that's been drawn in the sand between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And so you very much can spend the very early moments of this sermon identifying or asking yourself, do I belong to the, to the one side of the sheep that, that are of the church, that are, uh, that are in Christ, that are the, the ones who are made righteous by his perfect life and death and resurrection? Do I belong to those who are being saved or do I belong on the opposite side of the aisle? Okay, that's a metaphor. It's not based on where you sat tonight in church. But do I belong on the opposite side of the aisle, the goats, the ones who are perishing, the ones who are going to face the judgment of God? You've got to ask yourself that question. Where do I belong in Christ? Paul wants these uh, Corinthians to be aware of an issue in their church that they are allowing the influences of the world to infiltrate their minds, to corrupt their thoughts and their practices. And so he wants them to see the dangers that they are sailing into. So last week we looked at how uh, distinctive the gospel message is, why it was foolish to people. 
And it's not just the message of salvation, but it's all of God that He has revealed, all of God's Word that He has revealed to us. Let's be honest, it brings offense, it brings division. I love the passage, I used to speak on this passage a lot in, in Corinthians where it talks about us being unequally yoked. And, and, and how dangerous it is and how unnatural it is for us to be unequally yoked in our lives. The idea of, uh, of this great harness in a farming community where two oxen were lined up side by side, the same height, the same build, working together in unison to till up the ground with the big yoke, the big wooden device or metal device that, that fastened them together. It was a unifying device. But to be unequally yoked, I would tell the students a lot, would be to have an oxen on one side and a chihuahua on the other. How, how awkward and, and how unproductive would it be to have a yoke trying to connect these two animals to somehow work in unison and do the same, uh, work toward the same goal. It's impossible. We are unyoked to the world. We are unequally yoked to the world because we as the church, trusting in Christ, believing in Him, are saved, or as Paul says, being saved, and those who are lost are those who are, we looked at, are perishing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We will continue on now then from... from, uh, Verse 18 all the way down to verse 25. So my second point about this idea that Paul is trying to communicate is in regards to the divine judgment of God on human wisdom. The context of this passage, again, is the fact that the wisdom of the world was a cherished idea in the Corinthian culture. In the Greek culture, in Roman cultures that had arisen up, it, it had created an uh, environment whereby there were great wise men known for their great speeches and they had, they had formulated and, and, and uh, accumulated these uh, celebrity status crowds and events. So you might go and see a comedian or you might go and see your favorite singer at a great amphitheater or, or Orpheum type facility. Well, in, in Paul's day, the way in which a man would speak with uh, a rhetorical and linguistic style was attractive to people. It, it, it showed that they were wise men in the world standards how they could put together and and paste together um, wonderfully articulated uh, sentences and ideas that would grip you to the edge of your seat. And celebrity status was given by the community so that that they literally had crowds follow them as these um, people that would subscribe to this certain philosopher, this certain wise man. And so, of course, Paul saw this in the church. He saw this bringing division into the church because as the world would have it, so those in the church began to ascribe to and submit themselves to certain leadership, therefore causing division. And so Paul makes that point very clear in verses 10 through 17, how we can't be a a disunified church because if we're disunified, we're dysfunctional. We've got to be unified and focused together, not uh, created factions and divisions. And then he begins to attack the very reason that there was division, this way in which the world's wisdom had infiltrated the church. And what is the world's wisdom? Ultimately, the world's wisdom is where man is so proud of himself for all of man's accomplishments, all of man's strength, all of man's power, all of man's ideas and, and accolades that man himself can whether find himself a way to God or he doesn't need God to begin with. And what Paul wants them to see is that all these human wise ideas fall flat in comparison to the the message of the gospel and the power of the gospel. 
And what he begins to, begins to show us in uh, verses 19 through 22 is that because this is such a great threat, God has to remind the Corinthian church how foolish it is to trust in man's wisdom. And to show that, he is going to bring judgment on that wisdom. So I want you to hold your place in 1 Corinthians, and I want you to travel backwards to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Isaiah tonight because as you read in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now as a a student of the Bible, and I hope that you are, when you get to the, the section of your Bible in the New Testament where it refers back to the Old Testament, usually in block quotes, usually uh, following some statement like it is, risen, uh, it is written or for it is written, you need to stop there and you need to begin to do some investigative work as to what uh, Old Testament passage is being referred to. Your Bibles... Most Bibles today have some subscript there that that gives you an inclination of what Old Testament passages are being used. But your job as a student of the Bible is to find out why that author in the New Testament is using the Old Testament passage. You need to understand the context. You You need to understand what is Paul thinking? Why would he use such a phrase? And so that's what we're going to look at right now. Isaiah chapter uh, 29 will be kind of where where we will hover, but I will jump um, a couple pages forward and backward. Now, you got to know Isaiah the the prophet was a prophet during the time of Judah's defeat by the Assyrians and later the Babylonians. And like most of the prophets, particularly like Isaiah, his job was to declare the word of the Lord to God's people. And unfortunately, in his day, his declaration of the Word of God came a lot in those warnings and those judgment ideas because Israel had lived this long history of being unfaithful. And God was gracious to send a prophet like Isaiah. He didn't leave them alone. He didn't abandon them. No, he sent the prophet to them to warn them. Church, a warning from God is a grace from God. That he would love us enough to warn us. And the, the, the prophet Isaiah is, is a, a picture of God's grace because God, although he is going to discipline his people, is extending grace by actually warning them of the judgment and the discipline to come. And as we know, uh, Israel's story in the Old Testament, a, a, a people that were unfaithful, a people that struggled with obedience and disobedience, righteousness and unrighteousness, and let's be honest, our lives are, are no different. The struggle with sin, the, the wrestling with the flesh, we want to, to follow Christ, we want to honor Him, we are, we are keenly aware of the struggle that we have with our, uh, our self, our old man as the Bible tells us. Well, the, the prophet Isaiah came in, in the book of Isaiah to declare and, and make known their failures and faithlessness. And in a, in a more well-known passage in Isaiah chapter 29, the prophet foretells the judgment of God because they had rejected God for the cares of the world and the gods of the world. The Jews had begun to trust in their own wisdom in their own strength, instead of the wisdom and strength of God. So if you're you're in chapter 29, flip over one page to 28, look at verses 7 through 9. Here he's describing one aspect of their failure, the leadership of Israel. He's talking about these leaders and he says, These also reel with wine and and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach? 
knowledge. And to whom will He explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those who are taken from the breast. Isaiah is condemning the leadership because the leadership represented the people, right? And what did this leadership represent? They represented a, 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 a consumption of the worldliness of their day, not leading the people in righteousness, but leading the people in such unrighteousness that they literally failed to be able to lead them. These strong words of being swallowed by wine, being at tables full of filthy vomit, showed their failures as leaders of God's people. Because they began to consume the world and the wisdom of the world instead of following the wisdom of God. And this is so uh, relevant and applicable to our churches today in this world where so many churches in our culture with its spiritual leaders simply being cultural leaders who sprinkle in the Bible as some seasoning to their message instead of teaching the Bible's message as food for the church's soul. This type of leadership leads to people trusting in themselves and their own wisdom and their own strength instead of trusting in God. Elsewhere in Isaiah, and you don't have to turn there, Isaiah chapter 22, Isaiah once again condemns the people not of trusting in the wisdom of man, but trusting in the strength of man. In verse 8 he says, In that day you looked into the weapons of the house of the forest, You saw the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters to the lower water pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem. You broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not, you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. The Jews were so focused on the current invasions of these armies that God has sent to their doorstep as judgment. They were so immersed in trying to defend themselves and protect themselves and empower themselves to defeat these enemies that they never stopped to actually rest in God's power. And I was kind of taken back by that because, you know, even as believers in today's society, we can be so enamored not just with man's wisdom, but with man's strength, with man's abilities, with man's intellect, with man's technological advances. All these things that are in this world that are created that can be for our good, but what happens, church, is we end up worshiping those very things that God has gifted to us. They become idols or idolatrous in our life instead of resting in God. For example, men, your jobs are not the source of your family's provision. The Lord is the source of your family's provision. He has gifted you that job. He has called you to work heartily in that job. But the day... And the moments in which you think by your own strength and your own intellect and your own uh, ability to work hard and provide for your family, you will be swollen up in pride and you will forsake the trusting of the Lord. The Lord has provided for your family. And we must give Him thanks for that. So... What the Lord is saying through Isaiah the prophet is that the people of Israel were faithless towards God as they depended upon their own strength and their own wisdom. And therefore they were judged. How were they judged? They, God sent foreign armies to literally dominate and take captive the people of God, ripping them from their homeland, sending them to foreign places. And we think some people want to criticize God for that. Well, that's harsh. That's harsh for God to do such a thing. Church, this is a history of faithlessness of God's people. Where God had continuously in a cyclical way extended His arm of mercy and grace moment by moment, day by day, and and He continued to to show uh, faithfulness to them even in the midst of their complete and continual unfaithfulness. Sending armies to dominate them as, as discipline for His children is not, it is not ruthless, it is merciful. 
It is merciful that a loving father would discipline his children. It is loving for a mother to correct and and, and redirect her child so that they might know the proper ways of safety and of the Lord. And so their judgment was invading armies. But what's applicable to our passage in 1 Corinthians today is their judgment was not just foreign armies. Their judgment was blindness. Their judgment was blindness. Flip back over to verse chapter 29 of Isaiah. Look at verses 9 through 13. The prophet says, Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. And has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I can't read it, for it's sealed. And when they give the book to, to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore I will again do wonderful things with these people. With wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. The judgment from the Lord in these verses is not just the physical domination from a foreign people, but is literally the prescribed spiritual blindness by God so that the the, the people of Israel would see without being able to see their failures. Again, this blinding of God may seem severe, but this is in response, as he says, be astonished, or he says, astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. They had brought this upon themselves in their rejection of God and His wisdom. They had brought this judgment and discipline upon themselves for their rejection of God and His ways in order to trust in their own wisdom and power. Therefore, God gave them blindness because they sought to be blind. Alec Motyer reflects on this passage in his commentary on Isaiah, and I love this phrase. He says, determined spiritual insensitivity becomes judicial spiritual paralysis. Let me say that again. Determined spiritual insensitivity becomes judicial spiritual paralysis. What this means is that God is not only working in such a way to, uh, to make the wisdom of, of humanity look foolish, but He particularly is doing that in the life of Israel as they have continually rejected Him. Look, continue with me in Isaiah verse 15. He says, all, who, all you who hide deep from the Lord, your counsel whose deeds are in the dark, who say, who sees us, who knows us, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That thing that made, or the thing that uh, made should say to its maker, He did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding. Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord and in the way in which he literally, depending in the human wisdom of man, has led to their blindness because they have turned everything, as Isaiah says, upside down. Where we acknowledge our Creator and, and, our, and, and, the, and the Lord of all, the sovereign uh, ruler of the universe, we should be in awe of knowing Him and be in awe of understanding and having a relationship with Him. And yet somehow, people in this world, having that knowledge, having that understanding, flip that upside down and somehow still make it about themselves. In church, that is foolishness. And it is foolishness in the life of Israel who continually lived in such a way 
making it not about their Creator and their Lord, making it about themselves. And so in God's judgment for Israel, their blindness as a judicial act for God was a way to show them of the, frail, or the, of the failures and the fallibility of human wisdom. And this is really how the Lord makes His point in all human history. Where He brings people to a low point to see their great utter failures and weaknesses so that they can then turn to God. In our culture, we call that hitting rock bottom. And over and over again in the testimony of faith in Christ, you hear people testify, God had to bring me to hit rock bottom before I could see Him and love Him and know Him. A few weeks ago, Amy and I took our kids canoeing and saw a good illustration of this on the river. We, it being in a vessel like a canoe or a boat, your momentum of the boat on the river or the uh, canoe on the river, the current is carrying you forward. And you're paddling and you're trying to get through the rapids and all of a sudden you, 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 you literally stop out of nowhere on a, on a giant rock that you didn't see and your canoe is now stationary. And it throws you forward violently. Whether you're in a canoe or, or you're driving in a, in a boat and, 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 and you just, w- without slowing down, you drive right up onto the beachhead, you know that you're going to be thrust forward violently, taking you out of, 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 a, of a, a, a stable state. And the Lord does this. He allows us to hit rock bottom in our lives, showing us that we are depending upon ourselves and our own strength and our own power. It is for our good at times that God does this for us. He was doing this for Israel as He was literally causing them to be blind. Why? Because they were being religious with their actions, but they in their hearts, their hearts were far from them, He says. And so He caused in them a spiritual paralysis. And so I want to ask you today, church, before we get back into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, are you living in such a state of of spiritual paralysis right now? Where you just feel distant from spiritual things in the Lord? In your prayer life? in 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 your acts of service to the Lord and to the church? You feel like the communion with the Lord is broken. And I would ask you, if that's you, if you feel that way, if you are, 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 are coming, coming to understand that, or if you have understood that, is it possible that God is disciplining you because you have stopped trusting in Him? You are leading your life, your family, your, your career in such a way that you aren't resting in Him. You're just like the Israelites. You are drawing people, drawing near to God with your mouth and honoring God with your lips, but your heart is far from Him. I would say that as believers, we are all susceptible to such moments in our life. And God might bring about a temporary spiritual paralysis in us. Why? To show us I am far from Him. I am not walking close with the Lord. It's not permanent. You've not fallen away from Christ and salvation. But it's like walking in wet sand on the beach. You are slow. You are not getting very far very fast. Well, if that's you, let me encourage you as we try each week to remember the gospel. That the gospel transformation and renewal is a reminder that God is doing and has done a great work for us. So that as we acknowledge even moments where we are far from the Lord in our daily walk with Him, He reaches out. And so before I jump back into 1 Corinthians and tie the ribbon and the bow together so we can see how this is, let me just encourage you and remind you from verses 17 through 24 of that grace that God has provided us in Christ that is prophesied and prefigured here in verses 17 through 24. Up to verse 17, everything was doom and gloom. Everything was God's justice. And then in verse 17 it says, 
Is it not yet very, a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day the deaf, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor. God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of 
Ooh. 
trust in the sufficiency of the, of the message of the gospel and the word of God that we can stand as preachers, trusting that God is going to do what he is going to do with the word that is proclaimed, that he will be honored and glorified as we are faithful to deliver it after we have rightly divided it. If we have studied and done our due diligence, he will use it for his glory. And so he makes this point. He emphasizes the beauty of the preaching of the gospel. And, and let me just be real clear that, that Paul is not saying that, that this responsibility only lands on the shoulders of pastors. Because really the word preaching in the Greek text is proclaiming. So you are called to proclaim the gospel. And in those awkward moments that I spoke of before, that awkwardness, the, you push through the awkwardness because you know that God will be faithful to do what he is going to do by his sovereign will and plan as you are faithful to share. So by all means, trust in the sufficiency and power of God's word and know that if you are faithful, as you are faithful to share it, he will be glorified and blessed. So there is the beauty of being called into the gospel, believing and trusting because of the preaching of God's word and the, and, and the call of God to draw us to himself. And the reality, church, then, of the power and wisdom of God. That in our uh, feebleness and our weakness and our deadness, God doesn't remodel our lives. He creates a new life. This past week we did a job and, and, and we, we demoed and, and we found a, a room that literally had four different layers of material on the walls from people that have lived in this house. And, and they didn't come in and, and rip everything down to the studs and start over. They just kept adding more material on top of more material as they remodeled or, or decorated their room. When you think about the gospel, you have to understand that the transforming something that is dead and he brings new life. He opens the eyes that are blind, blind uh, Isaiah says in Isaiah 42. He brings out the prisoners from the dungeon, from those who sit in darkness. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Therefore the power of God is made manifest in the message of Christ because we see the power on display. As he brings dead sinners to new life in him. Jesus prophesied this in John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. It is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. I love that passage because Jesus says, this is not some eschatological thing to look forward to when Christ returns, but literally it is happening now when Jesus will speak the very words of God and they will believe in him and live. And those followers of Jesus Christ were being converted and transformed in, in, in transformative ways. Illustrated in the lives of people like Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, to show us the true spiritual work of God in our hearts while we are called. That's why we understand the gospel. That's why we understand and cherish the message of the cross, because it displays the power, and Paul says, the wisdom of God. And then he finally concludes by reflecting on.
Let's stand together.